This is Chattanooga Civics. I'm Nathan Bird. On April 13, the city of Chattanooga will hold a runoff election for mayor, as well as the council seats for District 2 and District 5. Early voting will run from March 24th to April 8th. As part of the preparation for the runoff, I wanted to provide some more in-depth interviews with the two candidates for mayor, asking some tough questions and getting into more detail about each of the candidates' policy proposals. I hope you find this information helpful. All right, I'm here with Kim White. She is in the runoff for the city mayor's position, running against Tim Kelly. And I just want to thank you for coming again on the podcast. I know we've already done one interview, so thank you for yeah, coming and thank you for coming out some more tonight. I'm looking forward to it. Absolutely. Yeah. So I want to I want to jump right in, and I want to ask some some frank questions discussing your campaign more broadly. Things that I've heard about from my listeners. That I'm asking both candidates. Sure. Um, first of all, you know, right off the bat, you and Tim have a lot in common. Uh, you both have backgrounds in Chattanooga. You both grew up here. You have backgrounds in business. Uh, you've both been very successful and both well, very well connected in the city. And on the surface level, even a lot of your policy pitches can tend to start to sound the same. I know when you dig into the details, there's some differences there. But right. just general campaign speeches, they kind of start to blend together a little bit for some people. Um, turnout was already pretty low in March. It was around 25%. And so I'm just wondering, it can be very easy for the average voter to get complacent in an election like this. And so I'm just wondering... You know, what's your opinion on this? How, you know, why is this election important? Why is this runoff important? And what are probably, you know, the two or three most key differences between you and your opponent? Sure. So thanks. Um, well, I think that right now, local leadership matters now more than ever. And even though voter turnout was low, and it was low, uh, it was mm-hmm. higher than, than, than it has been in previous years. Mm-hmm. So we do want to encourage voters to get out and pay attention. I think that with so many candidates to begin with, it was hard for people to pay attention. Yes. But we're at a critical crossroads, and we need a proven leader that can start and hit the ground day one. And I believe that this is a job that Chattanooga has prepared me for my entire life. Uh, there are key differences between me and my opponent. The first is my background. I think the fact that I came, I was born to 17-year-old parents. Uh, I grew up in, um, I went to public school. I grew up in a working class family. Um, I paid my way through UTC. I left, started a career. Uh, As I started my career, I know what it's like to juggle three jobs, to pay one credit card with another. Uh, I at one time lived on subsidized housing. Mm -hmm. I ended up finding a great career path uh, when I came back to Chattanooga. After a successful career for a Fortune 500 company, I started all over again. I'm not politically connected. Uh, I, am, I am now, but I wasn't politically mm-hmm. connected. Uh, I didn't inherit a business. I had to roll up my sleeves and find a way to make my voice heard mm-hmm. and used in Chattanooga. And I think that's, that is the experience of so many people in the city. What I've heard as I've gone through neighborhoods is people don't think their voice matters. And as someone that's gone through that process of trying to be at the table and earn a seat at the table, I didn't, I didn't automatically get a seat at the table. I've right. had to earn it. I think that's really important to have that background and understanding about how hard it is. Mm-hmm. And um, my, my platform is all about making sure that we do increase those connections and show people opportunity. Mm-hmm. The second is uh, my track record. I have a successful track record of recruiting business 
and jobs in the city for the past 17 years. I'm proud of the fact that I brought in $1.2 billion, uh, thousands of jobs, and this is a job that really I believe I had been prepared for. I didn't wake up just one day and decide that I want to be mayor. I think that this is a job that really my path found me, and it's a way for me to make a difference in a community that I love. Mm -hmm. uh, the business leaders that have worked beside me for the past 11 years have come around me to be on my team. Um, they, they've seen my track record. I do what I say. I say what I do. And then I think it is my vision. Uh, my vision, the reason I left a successful career at River City Company, a job that I loved, was because I saw so many needs in other parts of our city. And I believe I've been blessed with an opportunity to understand how to build those connections and mm -hmm. opportunities to touch every single neighborhood. So I, I think it's background, it's track record, mm -hmm. it's, it's vision. So I think that we are two very different candidates. Great. Thank you for that. Uh, I want to dive in a little bit, and, and this, this question is based off of Election Commission data from late January, so okay. correct me if any of this has changed okay. substantially, um, but you've read this, led this race in fundraising by a pretty significant margin. Uh, however, a large portion, collectively about 15% of your fundraising has come from Signal and Lookout Mountain. You also have a large number of developers on your donor rolls, and so I'm just wondering, you know, each candidate has kind of their own questions sure. about how they're funding Absolutely. their campaign. But what would you say to those voters who would say that you might be beholden to developers and other high dollar donors from outside of sure. the city? Well, I think it's very important to know that I'm not someone that can write a check for me mm -hmm. to be mayor, right? I had to go out and sell my vision to every single part of this community. And the fact that I've had over a thousand different donors from, and raise money from $6 to $1,600 mm -hmm. shows that I've been affected at, at doing that. People that live in other parts of the city also have businesses here. And I think it's important to show that people have confidence in the fact, the business community has confidence in the fact that I have the skill set in mm -hmm. order to actually hit the ground running. Right. So I'm very proud of the fact that I've had over a thousand different donors and I think that that is a testament. That's what a mayor has to do. They've got to go out and sell a vision and get right. people to invest. So uh, I'm very proud of the fundraising that I've done. You know, in mayor's races, the most anybody can give is $1,600. Right. So it's not big campaign, $100,000 checks. It's, it's tough. And especially during COVID, it has been one-on-one yeah. -on -one fundraising. So I think the fundraising results show that people have confidence in my ability to lead. Mm -hmm. Great. I've got one more kind of tough question yeah. for you, and yeah. then we'll move into more sure. of your policy. Yeah. Uh, you were president of River City Company for 11 years. Yes. River City Company has worked very closely with the city government from its inception. It's been instrumental in things like the Riverwalk, the Aquarium, all these great, you know, very yes. keystone projects to Chattanooga. However, there is a concern that the company is a little bit too influential in how the city is being developed and that not all of the projects the company has undertaken have been entirely in the public interest. This includes a couple of pilot programs with kind of questionable public benefit and some controversial business, including the Controversial Business Improvement District. Uh, there's been a little bit of back and forth about that and, you know, where who's seen the benefits of that. Um, and this has all been pointed out by the Public Interest Group Accountability for Taxpayer Money. Um, so what do you say to those voters who see your history with the River City Company as a conflict of interest, and how can you ensure that your connections there won't unduly affect your policy proposals? You know, I would say that uh, River City Company has been a very effective nonprofit, a private nonprofit mm -hmm. partner. And what a lot of people don't realize, they get no funding from the city or county. Mm -hmm. 
uh, what a lot of people don't also realize is they have no power. The only power that they ca- that we have is w- getting everybody to agree to work together. You have to get city government, county government, the foundations, the business community to all agree to work on particular projects. And those projects have been community-led. Mm-hmm. So I think there's a lot of naysayers out there that don't really understand the role of River City Company as one that really champions how to actually create public-private partnerships to move right. our city forward. So I know that downtown Chattanooga is a huge tax base, a tax base that hit, that fits that really reaches out to every part of our city, um, and we have to have a strong core in order to have strong other parts of our city. Right. So um, some of the projects that we do are tough and they're controversial, and I think the fact that I've been able to take on tough projects that we think are the right thing to do, and the community by and large has felt that was the right thing to do, mm-hmm. shows that sometimes you're not going to get 100% consensus. So one of the roles that we played was uh, the city and county wanted to have more market rate housing downtown Mm -hmm. instead of all high price condos. So they developed a criteria for developers that would set aside 20% of the units to be affordable housing to get some kind of tax freeze. Mm -hmm. There were five of those that were approved. And River City was the entity that vetted those and had to take them in front of city council and the county commission in order for them to actually approve the projects. So our role was really to work with the developer to try to get investment here. And I think Mm -hmm. sometimes people think the word development is bad. If we don't have development, our taxes are going to go up. We Mm -hmm. better hope that people come in and invest in our city and do it in a way that actually adds value to community lives. So the pilot program, we did five housing programs. Projects, uh, they brought in 300 units of less than market rate housing. Mm-hmm. That's 300. So on the other end, we get dinged because all the prices are high. But on this end, we get dinged because they get a tax um, freeze. Mm-hmm. One of the things I'm really proud of is that in my policy, we have uh, an affordable housing policy that we're going to bring 700 units of affordable housing into the neighborhoods that fit the neighborhoods. And I think my experience with real estate and development shows that I can help solve some of these problems Mm -hmm. and uh, not scared to take on tough issues right the business improvement district was one another one that i think um you you can't believe everything you read in the press and i think it was really hard to understand because we've never done it before there are thousands of these throughout the country the business community came to river city because we were the the arm that really looks at the health of downtown and said we are falling behind we are, we're trying to compete with Charleston and Savannah and all these other cities, and the state of our downtown doesn't look good. Uh, we wanted to, they asked us to do a feasibility study to work with the property owners to see if it was a viability, I mean, a viable option for them. So for over a year and a half, we worked with the, count, the city, uh, property owners. We had public meetings. We had public meetings for a year and a half asking people to come in and give input. And the only way a business improvement district moves forward is if you have a supermajority of property owners in that district vote for it mm-hmm. and sign a petition saying they want it. Right. So 89% of the value of the property in that district, those property owners signed that they wanted to invest in downtown. Mm-hmm. Uh, in fact, it's right at a million dollars a year that they're putting in, not taxpayer dollars, right. they were pulling from other areas, to make downtown safer, cleaner, more attractive so they could protect their investment. I would say if you go out and survey the downtown property owners right now, they would tell you by and large, um, by and large, that it has been a resounding success, Mm -hmm. especially at a time when there's so much demand on city services. This is a way that we can ensure that we keep the quality of our city well, I mean, at a a certain certain, uh, way um, and is maintained in a certain way. 
And I think sometimes people think about downtown being, oh, it's for the tourists. There are 3,100 residents. There are 12,000 students. I mean, it is for, there is so much demand on downtown. Right. And so the other piece that we get from other neighborhoods is like, all, oh, all the money's going downtown. Well, this is a way that downtown property owners that receive the benefit of it are the ones paying for it. Mm -hmm. So I think it is uh, it's a great tool, and we need to look at ways that we can utilize private um, uh, investment into our city. Mm -hmm. Great. Well, I want to move on to some more detailed questions about the policy proposal sure. on, on your website. Yeah. You mentioned affordable housing. We'll, we'll get to that okay. one. Um, I, I want to kind of go through in order that it's listed on your website here. Yeah. So in your sec your section on growing business, you talk about the importance of small business and your proposal to create an office of small business support to guide entrepreneurs through the city permitting process. Yes. You also talk about the importance of attracting large businesses to Chattanooga. Yes. And your website reads, while attracting high-quality jobs and investment is critical, in no case will I recommend to the council that we provide incentives that are excessive. In all cases, we'll put in protections to guarantee that businesses provide the jobs that they promise. So my question is, what is the actual mechanism that your administration is going to use to decide which incentives are excessive? And also, you know, there have been several projects in the city who have not been held to, their pilot, to the terms of their pilot sure. agreements. And sure. so I'm wondering what specific protections are going to be put in place to hold businesses to their agreements. In well, the I, I think, number one, people might be surprised. No, we don't have a standard pilot agreement. So mm -hmm. the first thing is let's, let's put together a standard pilot agreement. So, one, the company coming in understands what the expectation is. Right. And then we do have a and, – and that's a starting point of how we look at, at what we're trying to do. Mm -hmm. So it, um, it really is a cost-benefit um, analysis of looking at making sure – that whatever's brought here provides significant community benefit. We know that we need to keep growing our tax base. And so we're not going to be a city government that gives away tax dollars unnecessarily because we've got to grow our tax base. Right. Um, so, so I think one is making sure that we have that out there so the public can see. And then we talk about it. I think one of the things that's been lacking is that we've let a lot of naysayers drive the narrative uh, about why they're bad. We need to be out there talking about why we need them if we do need them. So uh, the, if someone comes in and provides a certain number of jobs, and, and, and people need opportunity and jobs, and we need to grow our city. Mm -hmm. So we want to be able to attract, but we also know that we're, we are a city that people ought to want to be in. So I think we, we've got to balance all that out. And I think, um, you know, we're going to be – I'll be elected in April, and, and, and people can hold me accountable, and we're going to make sure that we tell the story correctly and be a lot more transparent. We'll work with the chamber, but we'll also be involved in, in that process. Mm -hmm. So we've got to grow jobs. Uh, we are competing with other cities. You know, we don't have a chance like Volkswagen very often. And so some of those big ones are, are the ones that you look at more about giving incentives. Mm -hmm. I'd like to look at what we can do to help some of these small and medium-sized businesses that are growing, that are invested in our community. And whether we incent them to do workforce training, apprenticeship programs, I think it's a way of looking at how, what, what are they actually bringing to our city to make it better? Right. So the next section you have on your website is transportation. Yes. You have a section that's mostly dedicated to your immediate commitment to allocate an additional $3 million to road maintenance. Yes. Do you think that additional maintenance budget is sustainable? And how will your administration prioritize transportation issues to make sure that our transportation system is sustainable and is also meeting the needs of all Chattanoogans, including those who, for whatever reason, might not be able to drive? Right. So I think um, the $3 million, no, it's not. I mean, that's, that's something that's not going to get us where we need to be. 
uh, but it does help get us further along the path. Mm-hmm. The good news in all of it is we're getting ready to get a lot of money from the federal government. And I think that's why when, uh, you know, I've talked about my, my uh, Ready Day One playbook, mm-hmm. that's being flexible enough to take advantage of opportunities. That's a huge opportunity for us to look at how we can actually be a city that values all different types of transportation. CARTA is the most underfunded public transportation system in the country. <laughs> and we need to be able to get people where their jobs are and where yes. they live. And I think that is an imperative. So we need to pave our roads. I think that's a basic, that mm-hmm. especially when you go up to some of the outlying areas, they expect that's, that's about the only benefit they think they should get They get from the city. They should get good roads. Right. Uh, we've got to be prepared to grow, have, have good growth. But we also have to be able to make sure that our public transportation system is set up for good growth. Mm-hmm. And CARTA, in the past many years, has been more of an afterthought instead of sitting at the table as we talk about development and investment. So I'm excited about really looking uh, long-range, short-range and long-range with the $40 million that we're going to be getting from um, from the Biden administration to mm-hmm. see how we leverage that along with state funds. Right now, we don't take advantage of straight, uh, state transportation funds either. So we take the money that we're putting in and we leverage those with the state. So I think there's lots of different buckets that we need to maximize mm-hmm. in order to get us set up uh, where we need to be. Great. Uh, moving on, your next section is about public safety. Uh, you've been endorsed by the Fraternal Order of Police and the International Brotherhood of Police Officers. If elected, you'll be presenting a budget to the city council in June. Will you change funding for police significantly one way or the other? Will the allocation of funds within the police department change? And also, can you share who you nominate as police chief? Yes, I've been very vocal that uh, Chief Roddy has my full support. Um, uh, I think that he has been a very effective leader. I think that he needs more resources and more tools. Uh, they need more money, uh, not less, because what I'm hearing all out through the community is they want to see police officers that reflect the diversity of our city. Mm-hmm. We need to be able to do a better job recruiting police officers. Uh, we're losing so many police officers that are just going to outline counties because right. we're not paying them enough. So there will be more funds allocated with police. How we actually allocate that in the budget, I don't know. Uh, That's sitting down with Chief Roddy and looking at some of that. Uh, But I've committed to make sure there's more mental health providers, addiction treatment specialists that work alongside, uh, that we look at an increase in pay so we can retain really good police officers and Mm -hmm. we can train them so they're the best of the best. So a lot of that will take more resources. I think the fact that uh, it goes back to recruiting jobs. We need to recruit more investment here and make sure that we have the tax base in order to do the things that we want to do. Right. And then your next section is affordable housing. You've committed to spending $2 million to create 700 new affordable rental units in your first term. You also mentioned the opportunity to leverage the 450 derelict properties that the city currently owns. Yes. Do you have a specific plan for how those are going to be leveraged? Is it going to be auctioned to private developers or developed as part of something like a, a community land trust? You know, what is the specific plan for the use of those sure. properties? So, so, so we're looking at what that does look like, whether it's a, a land bank, a community land trust. I was on a, on a call yesterday mm-hmm. with, uh, with a group talking about what that looks like. I think it's like trying to figure out those different tools and buckets. 
instead of selling them on the courthouse steps, which is what's happened, right. it is working with the neighborhood associations. It's working with Chattanooga Neighborhood Enterprise. Mm-hmm. It's looking at a way that we can keep those units affordable. Uh, we are very blessed that CNE has done a great job putting together a framework. They've also done an analysis of every single neighborhood. Mm-hmm. So my first goal is to sit down with, with CNE and look at where there is the most opportunity to start focusing. Right. Look at maybe where there's already some private investment that we can leverage that. Um, all these neighborhoods want safe, walkable uh, neighborhoods that have services. And in order to attract more services, we need to be able to show investment. So right. uh, it would be more in conjunction with neighborhood associations, challenging a neighborhood enterprise. It's also looking at how do we streamline some of our codes our codes are so yes. antiquated. I mean, we don't even allow for garage apartments. Yeah, you can't even have a house with two kitchens. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think, how do we do that? Um, so it's if, if we streamline our processes, make it easier for people to develop, not not cheaper, a good product. I mean, it's just taking away some of that red tape. Right. Putting money in a fund, and $2 million a year won't get us there, but what we can do is leverage that to work with um, the nonprofit communities, mm-hmm. with some of the banks to help build that fund up. I think that we could end up doing more than 700. We think that that's a very low doable amount. But if we do get more funds and some of the funds from the federal government are, are set aside for affordable housing, right. then we'll leverage those. Uh, we'll, we'll be able to scale up. And then you already mentioned this. Uh, I want to dive into it a little bit more. But you mentioned a review of our development regulations and zoning yes. codes. Uh, you mentioned garage apartments two kitchens, things like that, that kind of flexibility. Yes. Do you want to talk about that anymore? Any other ideas, specific changes to the code that you know should be made quickly? I mean, right now it's like you can't even have duplexes. Or um, if you have a building downtown and want to put an apartment above, some of the things that that, that we put in place are barriers to even doing that. So right. I think how do we take our existing land and inventory and maximize the opportunity and by doing that, we are going to be able to get more affordable housing. I think it's codes. It's also the process. Mm-hmm. By the time someone goes and gets a permit, and then all the different regulations and requirements, uh, I've heard um, the developers use a, a phrase, sidewalk to nowhere, that we require sidewalks sometimes at places that don't make sense. We all like sidewalks where they do make sense mm-hmm. in neighborhoods. But I think it's using a common sense approach and making sure that we can um, we can really hit the ground running and developers can get things built quickly. The longer things take, the more cost it is. And right. that cost is passed on to um, the homeowner. Mm-hmm. So it's about how do we get more homeownership and more different types of housing. Fourplexes, sixplexes, C&E has been very good about different housing types. So, But I think it has to fit within the neighborhood. Right. So I want to move on to homelessness. You mentioned in your section on homelessness on your website, working with developers and nonprofits to provide homeless services, support, and housing. Um, Just based on what's written on the website, it's not entirely clear to me how this is substantially different from how homelessness services are are currently operating. You know, there is coordination with nonprofit groups and developers to to kind of provide these services. So I'm wondering if if you're willing to commit to any new funding or a new number of temporary or permanent shelter beds or some other kind of tangible improvement sure. that voters can hold you to. Well, what, I'm, what I am committed to do is I know that there are 40 different organizations involved in this area. Mm-hmm. And Signal Centers has just been given the contract to be the backbone agency mm-hmm. to kind of look at how we coordinate. So, so even though they're all working, they've never been working well together. Right. And what I want to do is jump in first to try to figure out where those gaps are. Mm-hmm. 
Um, that's how we did downtown planning is that we looked at you bring all the partners together and where are the gaps and are there more partners to fill those mm -hmm. so we know it's a huge problem we know it's a growing problem in every single part of our city I don't care if you're in Lookout Valley or downtown it's a problem mm -hmm. so um, I do think I want to work with the agencies that are doing it and find out why we haven't been able to move the needle right and then uh, moving on to government organization you state that your goal for government organization is to increase efficiency and effectiveness. I'm wondering, do you have any concrete changes in mind that will help attain this goal? Any specific changes to city departments that you're committing to? Anything like that? Sure. Uh, so we're going to go in and, and really do a deep dive. I think the fact that I've had 11 years working beside city government, I see where some of those opportunities are, but I've never been inside. Right. Uh, the DRC is one that I know needs some streamlining, and that's where the permitting and right. what you all you yeah. have to do. So I think that's a huge opportunity. Um, I think that um, it is, I know we're going to have a parks department. I know we're going to put in an office of small business support. I think there's some very big buckets at City Hall that, that maybe it's confusing because it's confusing to me about how you ac actually have access and what they do. Mm -hmm. So we want to be a more proactive out in the street in the neighborhood right. city government than sitting up on the third floor of City Hall. Mm -hmm. So um, I every organization I've been involved in, I've built great teams. It's all about a very lean organization because we have great partners that I don't think we've utilized to the fullest. Right. Let's figure out the basic things that we need to be doing at city government and then let's make sure the private sector, the nonprofit sector has the tools and they're empowered to do their job. And you mentioned neighborhoods there. I, I want to dive into that. Uh, on your website, you say city services will not be hidden behind the doors of city hall, but accessible in the places important in your neighborhood. I'm curious, what kind of tangible form is that going to take? Is that going to be better utilizing community centers and libraries? Or, you know, is the city going to open kind of satellite offices around town? What What is the mechanism that's going to be used yeah, for that? Yeah, so, so I think it, one is actually going out and being proactive, meeting with businesses. I know mm -hmm. that uh, that's been the, one of the most rewarding things that I've done since running for mayor is meeting so many business owners that love our city and they put their heart and soul, but they feel like they need help and they need to know where resources are. Right. And I think it's us being proactive and in conversation out one-on-one -on -one in those locations. I do think that we have uh, city resources like libraries and the youth and family development centers that I do believe should be called community centers. Um, and looking at how we bring resources out to each community because they're all mm -hmm. so different. So it wouldn't be more satellite. I would see it more, do we, have a, do we have a workforce training program that we bring out one day? Do we have a seminar on how we actually start and grow a business? Uh, but it's bringing them out to the neighborhoods instead of asking them to come, come downtown to right. see us. And then I want to I want to back up to the government organization piece for a minute and wonder if are there any more fundamental changes to the organization of city government like the change to full-time city council or the change to a city manager style of government anything along those lines that you'll be pushing for? No. Okay. No. Uh, so we'll move on and uh, see we talked about Carta. So let's see how we're doing on time. We're good. Uh, I want to move into a couple questions from listeners and these okay. are Mostly taken directly from listeners. I pared them down sure. a little bit just for, you know, sure. consistency's sake. The first one is about taxes. Okay. Uh, pretty simple. Do you plan on proposing any higher property tax rates or 
you know, changing the schedule for property reassessments? Right. No, I don't. Okay. Um, I think that we have a huge opportunity to bring more investment, and that's that's what I want to do is look right. at where we can. Is there are there some ish, uh, some pieces that we need to cut out uh, as we streamline the government and what we're involved in? But I think it's more bringing in investment, not increasing taxes. Right. And then another listener question kind of along the same lines, talking about increasing the tax base. Uh, are there any plans to look into annexation of, you know, surrounding areas right now? No, I will okay. tell you, uh, the, the, the state delegation has made it pretty tough yes. for us to do that, right? So, um, and I think what we have an opportunity to do right now is some of the folks out in some of the outlying areas don't feel like they get their money's worth. Mm-hmm. And we need to show that we are running a very efficient um, city government mm-hmm. runs well, operates well, and I think that we have some challenges to overcome right. to do that. And then moving on, talking about turnout again, we already mentioned this at the beginning. Turnout has been consistently below 30% for my entire lifetime. Um, and, you know, even before that, it has not been great. Do you support any changes to how the city elections are run to help improve turnout? Or is there anything else that your administration will be doing to improve turnout? I think it's worth a conversation. Uh, I know they've looked at it over the years. Uh, It's gone back and forth. So I'd love to get more information. I've been so concerned about this race and getting everybody to turn out. But I do think this gives us an opportunity to look back. I mean, to have 15 people run, uh, just just what the, <laughs> the requirements are, the process, I think I think this gives us a great opportunity just to look at if there are some changes that need to be made. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we just talked about annexation and how the state has already kind of limited what we can do on that front. Uh, the state has also preempted local action on a number of other issues, including minimum wage, plastic bag taxes, gun control, and another of, a number of other issues. How do you think Chattanooga should handle preemption? And I know it's going to depend on what whatever the issue is, but you know what lengths should we be willing to go to to work with the state to kind of work around any preemption that they've well, already Well, one of the things I'm committed to and I have a history of is working well in partnership, and that's from working with the county mayor to working with the state delegation to working with the Biden administration. And I feel like I will be a strong advocate for what we feel like is best mm-hmm. for Chattanooga, but I am committed to work with our state. I think they provide a lot of resources. In fact, I think they could provide more resources, and I'm mm-hmm. going to be an advocate for that, how they could really come to the table more and help help the city more. So I think it's all a matter of give and take, but I will be a strong advocate for our city. Right. And then another listener question, how important are climate change and broader environmental issues to the city? What goals should we have with regards to these issues and how are you going to pursue these goals as mayor? Well, I mean, a a healthy environment, a clean environment is really important. I mean, we have a reputation on that. We turned our city around because of that. Um, I mean, that's an important piece as we look at what type of businesses that we're trying to recruit in. Uh, I am not for adding any more regulations that would... um, that would be hurtful to business. I am very pro-business, but I think that we're in a great spot of the type of businesses that are looking to move to Chattanooga. Mm-hmm. Um, so it is an important piece, and we have organizations like Green Spaces and others that, and EPB, uh, that mm-hmm. will be great partners, and, and I look to them to be great partners as we think through that. Right. And then this was news to me when, when this listener reached out, but Planned Parenthood has posted two job openings in Chattanooga, which may indicate interest in opening a clinic in the area. As mayor, do you have anything to say about that? Would you support Planned Parenthood coming back to the Chattanooga area? What yeah, are your thoughts I, don't, on I, don't, I don't have any thoughts on that right now. Okay. That's that's I, I, Someone had said that that was out there, but to be honest, I've been so busy trying to run the race and looking at right. what our policies are. So 
So, uh, no, I'm sure it's something that we will take a look at to mm. see what, what's going on there. And then one more question from a listener. Have you given much thought to city cybersecurity, and do you have any thoughts on how to use technology and data to pr- improve government function, efficiency, or transparency? Well, I, I mean, we have a huge opportunity with, um, with what we have with EPB and fiber and what we've done with data to look at how we can be more efficient. Mm-hmm. So, yes, I think that we'll go in and look at where we are, what the city is doing. That's really important. Uh, as we move to the future. So um, I haven't done a deep dive in what needs to happen or where we are, but that that definitely is on the short list of things that we need to evaluate. Right. And then one last question. This one's mine. Uh, What are two or three books that you've read that have influenced the way you're running your campaign and the way you're going to run as mayor? Um, I've read and, 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 and Nathan, my mind is rattling so much about everything I've seen and read, but right. I've read a lot of, I mean, I like, I'm a historian. I like history. I've read a lot of John Meacham books about mm-hmm. just about how um, it's about being, it's about civic leadership and all working together and how parties come together to, to build our country. Um, so names of books at this moment, it's not popping in my head, but, but I do think that learning from uh, what's happened in history and how, uh, in very divisive times, the countries come together. Mm-hmm. I hope that Chattanooga can be a microcosm of what that looks like. Um, you know, since I've announced my campaign, I've talked about it being about civic leadership. Unfortunately, there are people that try to put you in a box one way or the other, and they want to see things. They want to they want to say you're this way or that way. Mm-hmm. But um, it's really important for me to represent the entire city of Chattanooga, and that's how we solve problems. Well, great. If you want to plug one more time your, your website Absolutely. and social media and all that before we Absolutely. sign off. Absolutely. So, uh, and thank you so much for the opportunity. All of our policies are on kimwhiteformayor.com. We'd love for you to follow us on Facebook, Instagram. Uh, early voting starts March 24th, uh, runs through uh, April 8th, except for uh, Easter Friday, the, the Friday, a uh, good Friday. And um, please come out and vote. It's never yes. been a, a more important time, I believe, for our city to have the right kind of leadership, and I do believe I'm that leader. Great. Well, thank you so much for agreeing to this second interview, and I really appreciate your time. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I hope you've enjoyed this episode of Chattanooga Civics. Our music was written and recorded by Kevin McLeod. If you have any questions or feedback, please send me an email at chattanoogacivics at gmail.com. You can follow me on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at chatcivics, or visit the website chattanoogacivics.com. Thanks for listening. Proud member of the Podnuga Network.